Okay, uh, turn into your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5, 1 through 5, the first section of the Beatitudes, Sermon on the Mount. Uh, we have some extra Bibles in the back if you uh, didn't bring one or you want a different one or whatever. Um, Kenneth Bailey, for those who read the chapter, uh, I this is a genuine question. What exactly did you get from there, that chapter that was actually from like Middle Eastern perspective? It was hard for me to tell. There was a couple of quotes from a Syriac translation of the Bible. That was kind of interesting. But I, to be honest, I didn't really get a lot of Middle Eastern perspective on the Beatitudes. So, with that said, um, in the PowerPoint here, there's quotations from a book with page numbers. That's not Kenneth Bailey's book. That's a different book. I forgot to kind of make that note in the PowerPoint. So... When you see it, don't say, oh, hey, I didn't read that in the book. Well, it's because it's not in the book. All right. Anyways, it's from a David Scare book called Sermon on the Mount. So. All right, so the Beatitudes, the first section, um, let's read it, and then we'll get into it, okay? Um, seeing the crowds, Jesus went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. Now, that's why I sit down. Since Jesus sat down when he t- taught... I sit down. You, you can never do better than Jesus. So do what he does, Bobby. I know. It's very difficult. I understand. We all struggle with this. But this part I don't struggle with, sitting down. I can handle this part. Okay, so when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit... For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Done. Although, you really want to keep reading, don't you guys? But we're not going to. Always leave them hanging. All right, so, uh, you know, the Beatitudes is part of uh, the Sermon on the Mount. Sermon on the Mount is actually Matthew's chapters 5 all the way through chapter 7. Um, It is a very important part, obviously in the book of Matthew, but also it's a very important section of all scripture. It's, it's probably the most quoted, like in terms of uh, church history. Uh, this and the Lord's Prayer are like the most quoted sections of scripture. I mean, it's, it's quite extraordinary how much this influences Christians throughout uh, the last, you know, 2,000, 13 years. Um, so anyways, but uh, sermon might be a little bit of a misleading uh, title because, um, like it says in verse 3, Jesus taught them. You know, so it's, uh, it's not very precise. Maybe teaching or catechesis, if you, if you want to use the Greek word, but um, it's better. So Jesus is acting like a rabbi now, okay? And um, that's very important for us, too, as disciples, for in the verse 1, his disciples come to, to Jesus. So, um, as you visually imagine what this is, now some of you have been to Galilee and, you know, people have said, hey, this could be the spot where Jesus did the Sermon on the Mount. That's true, but I mean, even if you haven't been there, you can envision some kind of hill. <laughs> and Jesus is on top of it. 
and people are coming up now towards Jesus. Okay, that's that would be important. Whether that's geographically precise, that's a different question. But I don't want to get bogged down in the historical details as much as the visual details. Jesus is on top of a mount or a hill, and people are coming up to him. That's important because um, what does that echo? Mountains are very important in Scripture. One being Mount Sinai, right? However, who, uh, so yeah, so Moses is in the background of this story, if you didn't pick that up. But, um, but this is very important because what did Moses do? He went up the mountain, and then what did he have to do? Come back down the mountain. So now we have somebody who's greater than Moses, who is actually drawing people up the mountain so God spoke on top of the mountain. Jesus stops, uh, speaks on top of the mountain. Hence, now we're, Jesus is making a very striking, dramatic statement about who he is, or Matthew, the writer, about Jesus. And then not only on top of that, but the, 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 the disciples, the status of the disciples. Moses, kind of the great teacher of the Old Testament, went up the mountain. Now we have Disciples, a general term, it's not necessarily just the 12, it's everybody who's following Jesus coming up the mountain. So it's, it's, a, it's a pretty dramatic dealio. Then on top of that too, um, the, uh, when in verse 2, yeah, he opened his mouth and taught them. That, that's, a, that's a God statement. God's, you know, when God opens his mouth, things flow out. Um, in fact, um, then in the Psalms, right, open my mouth and out will come your praise. So it's a, an echo or a reflection, first of God speaking, and then the one who stands in the presence of God, too. All right, so Jesus is acting like this rabbi, the great rabbi, the one even better than Moses in the Sermon on the Mount. And the reason why I bring that up is because... I think it's in the next slide here, probably. Oh, well, let's be, hang on. Interpretations of the, of the Sermon on the Mount or the Beatitudes. I want to get this out of the way um, first. A lot of people, Sermon on the Mount, I try to do what Jesus does, right? But oftentimes I don't, which then makes me feel bad. Uh, a lot of people understand the Sermon on the Mount primarily in terms of law or accusatory. So the main thrust is to expose how a person doesn't measure up. Well, that's one interpretation. And then there's an ethic or ethics, how one lives life. Um, both of those are true, but not the first, not the first thing. Um, why? Because both of those perspectives begins with, with you. Of course, Matthew chapter 5, verse 1 does not begin with us, but begins with Jesus. So that's what we need to, as we approach the Beatitudes, this is, this is the person we need to be thinking about. Um, when you're reading the Sermon on the Mount, that should actually say the Beatitudes. Um, if, if you think that it's about you, which everyone will say, no, it's not about me, but if you understand the Beatitudes in terms of, oh, this is what I have to do, um, or I can't do this, then you're still thinking about yourself first rather than Jesus. Okay. Um, 
The message of the sermon is not a demand driving the Christian to an impossible moral perfection, but it comes to the Christian as a demand fulfilled already in Christ, which is now made possible for believers since it has first reached its demands in Christ. So as you um, understand the sermon or the Beatitudes more specifically, the first person you want to be thinking about is, is Jesus. Okay? Um, because that will make things, A, a lot more clear, and B, um, a lot more gospel-oriented. Now, David Scare applies this to the Beatitudes. This is really how you should read the Bible, period. Okay? I think oftentimes people open the Bible looking for some kind of rule book. Uh, I... Some high school kids, as a joke, on a trip that we went, bought me this license plate. It says, if all else fails, follow the rules, and it's got a picture of a Bible on there. Well, I had just taught them about how Christians don't follow rules, and they follow Jesus, and I went about this whole thing about how, as, as people, we often use the Bible in the same sense as, you know, like a self-help book or a, like a, a therapeutic type of book where we, I feel bad. I feel bad, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read some happy scripture to make me feel better. Now, the thing is, though, that's very close to what we should do or what we do do as Christians. We actually don't read scripture to make our feels better, but we actually read scripture to know what the truth is, and we understand that the truth will set us free. Truth being, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. So we read scripture to remind ourselves what life is all about, primarily Jesus. Because oftentimes when struggle comes, temptation comes, we forget. Because we often we think about ourselves right away. Ah, I'm screwing up, or ah, I can't do this. It's like Peter walking on the water, which is in the Gospel of Matthew. Peter looks down and is like, Argh. you know, he took his eyes off of, of Jesus. So, uh, so as we read the Beatitudes, we want to think primarily about Jesus. So it's, uh, I use the word Christological, I think, in here. All right, so whenever reading the Bible, much less the Sermon on the Mount, you first, your first thought is always Jesus. Should have proofread. The Beatitudes are markedly Christological, but not in an isolated sense. So this is important for us now. So you first think about Jesus, find Jesus, and as you find Jesus, then all of a sudden you will appear. They are descriptions both of Jesus and of those who have been joined by Jesus' Father to his kingdom. So reading scripture, you always find Jesus first. And once you find Jesus, then uh, you think about it visually, then all of a sudden... Who are you living in relationship to? Jesus. Uh, it, this seems like a very obvious thing, but when you read scripture thinking about yourself, then, then you actually, you're completely isolated. But when you find Jesus first in scripture, all of a sudden you have community or relationship, and you're no longer alone but you're actually living in a relationship with the very person who will heal you. So do you, see, do you see that distinction between the two now? Is that when you read scripture, if you read it for, you know, to make you feel for therapy or catharsis, you're reading it by yourself. 
and for yourself. But if you look for Jesus first, all of a sudden you are not by yourself. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I, to be honest, I think, I mean, I think that's like the key to reading the Bible, period. Even on Sunday morning, you know, when you're listening to the scripture, you know, <laughs> sometimes some of the readings are like, what? Um, and uh, it, it does take an uh, effort to find Jesus sometimes. Because you know, um, Martin Luther will talk about how Jesus, or God is hidden. He's hiding. He's got a hiddenness to him. Um, just because uh, God is hiding, that doesn't mean he's not there. Okay, that's, that's important. God's present. Okay, so we have to find Jesus sometimes. Now, how that works in terms of Scripture, too, though, is sometimes it's abundantly clear because, like, for today, it's easy to find Jesus because he's, he's talking. <laughs> he's talking. Uh, but when we get into other passages, especially in the Old Testament, you're like, you know, what's going on here? And when we take those passages in isolation, again, not in community, but isolation, it becomes very difficult. So, like, when you read, like, the first nine chapters of Chronicles, it's a good example. It's all like names. You know, somebody begat somebody. Okay, that means nothing to really anybody. Um, I mean, even the smartest people, if you take little passages, it means nothing to them because nobody knows who these people are. But if you start doing a circle, uh, that's what I, it's like a hermeneutical circle, and you just keep broadening your vision, now all of a sudden those first nine chapters are in a larger context of Holy Scripture about the, 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 the promise first made to Abraham and uh, how that promise is passed on down the line to now King David. And then, oh, now we're start Now, once we get to King David, oh, it's a little easier to see Jesus because Jesus says something about David, I think. Okay, and then all of a sudden, bam, you got this whole story of the first nine chapters of Chronicles, which mean nothing by itself, but once you start broadening it, now you see it how it's it it's part of the story of who Jesus is, and then part of your story too. Okay. All right, the Beatitudes, the distinguishing factors. This is important too because um, why well, because of what I just said. That's right. Um, the Old Testament is in the background, so there is like specific passages that are echoed in the wording itself. You know, blessed are the poor in spirit. Um, but then there's also a more kind of dramatic, what I call like a dramatic or a visual component to the Sermon on the Mount and the Beatitudes, and that would be the, the biblical characters themselves. So we already talked about Moses, right? Abraham will come up too this morning. So as we understand this Old Testament, Moses and Abraham, that will kind of help us understand who Jesus is and then understand ourselves. But when it comes to Jesus, it's not a one-for-one kind of understanding. You know, this happened to Moses, so this is going to happen to Jesus. It's, it's, it's echoes. It's using the storyline, it, it, but also not a, a um, literal retelling. So you have Moses, right? He's a teacher. His story starts with what? You know, the, kill, the killing of... Uh, the, the newborn people in Hebrews, the Hebrew boys, right? Jesus, what happens to his story? The babies of Bethlehem. 
Jesus is put in an ark in the river, and then what happens when he comes out of well, ark? Uh, that's what that's what the word is. Um, the basket. Jumped ahead. See? <laughs> Moses is put into the little basket, and then when he comes out of the basket, what is he? Is he? Uh, what? What is he now? He's a son of what? Son of Pharaoh, son of the king, right? He's got a royal. But the reality is, is that he's he already had that earlier too. Jesus now. So you have um, the killing of of um, the, the people, uh, the babies in Bethlehem. Then what happens right after that? They go to Egypt. Bam. Out of Egypt, Moses into Egypt. Get it? Okay. And then what happens after that? Well, let's just look. Well, he returns. Uh, and then, but uh, John the Baptist, well, we have this little story about John the Baptist, and then, and then Jesus gets baptized. He comes out of the river. Um, so Moses out of the river, Jesus out of the river, Moses teaching, Jesus teaching. So you have this story of Moses informing what's happening now in the sermon. Yes. Why later in, in scripture did he have to send an entourage to check out the Man, I'll tell you what. <laughs> no, it, it um there is a uh there's like a like a very kind of human reality, right? Yeah, he, he had questions. I think uh well let's just kinda of play it out. Who generally speaking have the most faithful words? What what age of a person kids right so uh you know they're pretty faithful uh, it's not until you grow up and you have this vision of what life should be and then when it doesn't happen the way you think it should be then you begin to doubt and you have questions because i mean what do you get do you remember where is john when he sends the entourage yeah he's in prison so he's like he's really at the point of uh, temptation, yeah. That's right. That's right. Exactly. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, uh, absolutely. It's it's very human, and so that that's the, that's kind of the great thing. Now, that's not the only interpretation of of that situation with John the Baptist, but I think that one is probably the the most tangible for us as as people is that we we actually every day we're called to you know believe Jesus and every day we are called to confess but we deny sometimes i mean and and so there is this rea- real image of biblical characters in fact going along with this tangent is that you know, when we read the Bible, we often come to the Bible with a very, like, a literal or strict image of these people. For better or for worse. Like Peter or John the Baptist or, or whoever. And what we need to do is we need to slow, I think we need to slow down 
whether it's literal reading, slow down with the words, or metaphorically, kind of emotionally, spiritually, to slow down as we read this Bible, our basic premise should be one of, of like confession or humbleness. So as I read the Bible, my first thought is, I don't even know what this means, which I, I consciously do so that I, that's, that's supposed to help me, which not always, because sometimes you go through the emotions, right, and you just, yeah. But anyways, um, I do that consciously so that, uh, so that I, I at least I'm, I'm trying to learn. And so, um, so like John the Baptist, Peter, I mean, all these things is, all these people are real people. Uh, no, it, yeah, yeah, you should actually. However, well, yeah, no, so so that's helpful. But uh, what does that exactly mean? That would be my my question. Yes, he's the voice crying in the wilderness. But what exactly does that mean? And that meaning of John the Baptist crying in the wilderness could have a lot more richer character if I come to that, presuming I don't know everything about this. Yeah. Um, the other thing too, though, is that. Uh, yeah, uh, not only what it means, but what it is. The voice crying in the wilderness is is somebody who's not unlike me. Yeah, Donna. Right. Right, which is which is obviously not true, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Definitely. That's right. Yeah, just because you're in the Bible doesn't mean, like, you're superhuman. I mean, that, that's, yeah, that's another thing, too, is that we, yeah. Anyways, all right, let's uh, keep going. Oh, so, okay, so now we're at the Beatitudes. I actually I think I deleted a, um, okay, so now we're at, at, at the Beatitudes. We talked about one and two. All right, so now let's talk about the actual three blessed people, blessed things. First of all, they don't say who who is who, meaning, like, when Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit, there's no like pronoun. I mean, there's no like, blessed are you, or blessed am I, or blessed are they. It's just, it's open. And that's important. Uh, now, the challenge of reading scripture, too, is not to not conflate. Because if, if you, uh, if that's one thing I got from Bailey. I mean, although it wasn't Middle Eastern, was it reminded me how, the Sermon on the Plain in the Gospel of Luke actually has a pronoun. Blessed are you. It says you. So, um, but we don't we don't want to read Luke into Matthew. We just want to read Matthew first. Okay. So the fact is, so the listener or reader is left to find out through the rest of the gospel who is the poor in spirit, the mourner, the meek, etc., etc. So again, as we understand Scripture. It's not in isolation. It's told into a larger tapestry so that as we come to this, um, blessed are the poor in spirit. Now, I've already kind of let the cat out of the bag. I said it's Jesus, but how is it pertain to Jesus? Like, how does that work? Um, that's why we need to keep on going in the gospel to find out exactly how that all fits. And then how we, once we understand how that fits to Jesus, then we can begin to understand how that fits uh, 
in us. So as you read the Beatitudes, you're encouraged to find out how Jesus fulfills each statement. And uh, sometimes it might be pretty easy. You're like, oh yeah, Jesus said this, or this is how Jesus is. Or... So the Beatitudes are the Christological prism. That's from David Scare. I don't, I don't talk that way. Through which the followers of Jesus find their standing before God. So you, you look towards Jesus, and as you look towards God, you always, you always look through Jesus. And that's important. Because uh, I think we're going to talk about that. Oh, well, before we get to that, that's right. So is, uh, we'll just talk about the word blessed. Has anybody ever like uh, talked to the Jehovah Witnesses? I think, do I put it? Oh, yeah, it's in the morning part. Okay, we'll go back. Hang on. Have you ever talked to Jehovah's Witnesses? You don't like to do that when they come to your door? I've had a few experiences with the Jehovah's Witnesses. My, one of my first ones, though, was they actually started reading this section of the Bible, but it was the Jehovah's Witnesses translation, which I, I can't remember what it is. And they, don't, they, they, they translate it differently. We'll leave that, though, because we'll talk about it in the next Beatitude, the uh, morning one. So, blessed. There's two, there's two Greek words for the word blessed. Kenneth Bailey says it's best to have the hyphen in when you write it in English. I, I'm not sure exactly why. He just, says that. he just says that's the grammatical way of doing it, which I said, I didn't know. I, well... Yeah, it's a state of being rather than a causal. It's not causal. So, so there's two words: the the eulogy one and the makario. The eulogy is asking for blessing, or stating. Uh, so, asking for blessing, where makario is stating one who's already blessed. So, as Jesus sa- says these words, he's talking about people who are already blessed versus the one who will become blessed when they become poor in spirit. or So it's a causal statement. You'll get the kingdom of heaven when you're poor in spirit. But it's, it's actually not, that's not how it's actually written. Those who are blessed, it, it's, it's already a description. A joyful state that exists in a future that allows one to joyfully, to live joyfully now. Blessed are, that's the existing state, and not only that, but there's something more in my life which allows me to, to rejoice in this blessed state. Holly. Um, that's, that's, uh, that is, yeah, that, well, actually, the way it's written, it is. I mean, you could write it in the active voice, but it's written in this, yeah. Well, you started with the wrong pronoun. We. So how does this apply to Jesus? That's what we have to do first. Um, And I'm really going to stress that. I mean, like, I'm I'm not going to move off of that. So um, so I'm not going to answer your question. How does this apply to Jesus? So poor in spirit. And do I actually get into that? I can't remember. Oh, yeah, yeah, I do. Sort of. Um, so how does this apply to Jesus? Uh, okay, so how can Jesus be poor in spirit? It doesn't exclude that. 
That's important because we like to spiritualize things and then not apply the material perspective on our life. Because Christianity isn't about money, you know. Even though Jesus talks about money more than anything in the Bible. But Yeah, that's right. Okay, good. Okay, so that's that's the question. So like how does this work? So we think poor we think of poor in terms of of missing something or lacking in something. And that's actually not the whole story. Okay, good. So now good job. So Donna, you've already, you're already moving along. Excellent. Um, it's both of these things though. This is where it's important because Luke says, Blessed are the poor, which is strictly like he's really talking about people who do not have material wealth. Jesus, though, is inc- that's inclusive of those poor in spirit, but also even for those who have material wealth, they can still, they, because of what Carol just said, Jesus does not lack anything. However, does Jesus have a place to rest his head? No. Exactly. However, Well, okay, exactly. So, so uh, 2 Corinthians 8, 9, uh, I don't want to, well, let's just turn to it. Let's, let's just skip ahead. So, uh, you can turn to 2 Corinthians 8, 9. I try to keep the Bible references relatively short, like, few. I mean, we could, walk, you know, we could, there's a whole bunch of these things, but. So, I, 2 Corinthians 8, 9. Why did I choose this one? Oh, that's right. So, um, 2 Corinthians 8 and 9 is an uh, important one because it, it, it's actually, yeah, oh boy, I sure hope I got that right. Yeah, okay, good. I actually did this from memory, so I'm, I think this is the right one. Okay, good, excellent. If you actually look at the... Uh, title of that chapter sometimes the titles or the subheadings are good some are misleading but this one's okay encouragement to give generously so this this bible passage is about like money like money material things however it's not only that so for you know the grace of our lord jesus christ that though he was rich yet for your sake he became poor so that uh, you, by his poverty, might become rich. So, Jesus is rich. However, for whose sake does he become poor? Our sake. So, um, that, that's, really, that's really, really important as you understand the poor in spirit. It's Jesus. It, so, if you read the Gospel of Matthew, you find out, well, foxes have holes and, you know, Something that somebody, but the Son of Man has no place to live. Uh, lay down his his head, um, and then the instructions to the disciples are to what? Don't take, don't take anything. Why? Well, because Jesus doesn't have anything. In fact, does Jesus really have a hometown? Kind of a trick question, right? Because I know where this guy lives. Isn't he the the carpenter's son? Yes, but not really. In fact, not to conflate Gospels, this is a theme that's used heavily in the Gospel of John. Where do you come from? 
Who are you? So uh, you also get it, though, in the Gospel of Matthew. So Jesus is poor. Yeah, he's definitely poor in spirit. But it's based, it's based on, on his humiliation, which I think, yeah. So uh, Philippians 2, 7 through 11, that might be a good one to look at, too. It's a pretty popular when we start reading. You'd be like, oh, yeah, I knew that. Actually, we should start at verse 5. Philippians 2, I have 7 through 11, but we should start at verse 5. Having, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself, so that's what Donna was saying, by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Um, I just, I'll keep reading. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, including in church. In heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord, Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. I like that passage. It's great. So, um, yeah, so Jesus is poor in spirit. It deals with, hum- like, his humiliation, his, his, his act of, um, yeah, the incarnation. Some people in the liturgy, some churches, uh, when the word incarnate comes up, they actually get down on the knee. We do a pronounced bow when he was made man. But it's for this very thing, this scripture. Okay, anyways, um, so how does this work with respect to God? So Jesus stands before God naked, so this is the crucifixion. He's poor in spirit precisely in the crucifixion. Because, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He's like, he's all there. Um, which, you know, is hard for us to kind of comprehend because we do like to think Jesus is superhuman, not really human. Okay? But he's, he's a man. You know, it's an article of faith. Um, but how does this work with respect to man? Now that one's a little easier because Jesus says, I did not come to earth to be served, but to... Serve. So poor in spirit, Father, to the Heavenly Father, and to then to each one of us. Okay. Okay, so for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Kingdom of heaven, what does that mean? Uh, we often think in terms of a localized space. So like, you know, streets of gold and that. That's part of it. Uh, the verb tense, though, is a present tense, Right? For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Um, so it's a present tense. It's not necessarily strictly a future tense. So there is a present reality to this. Um, the kingdom of heaven can also be like the reign of heaven or the reign of God, kingdom of God, reign of God, the way of how God handles his kingdom, how he runs it. It's, a way of, it's also a way of living, the heavenly way. So... Um, which, oh, that's right. Uh, how does the Lord's Prayer help us understand this phrase? Now, this would be more of a small catechism question. 
does anyone remember that? Um, okay, yeah, well, what does this mean? It's in the back of your, your hymnal, or uh, your Pew Edition Bibles, if you got one. Page 1057. If you don't have one, that's okay. You can just, you can just remember it from your confirmation class. Right, Julie? You remember that? Like, yeah, trust me. I, uh, yeah, the kids. I'm always like, uh, I'm always like one step ahead of them, but not two steps. Even though I do this every year, I'm always like, I got to review the small catechism. Um. Okay, second petition here. Thy kingdom come. What does this mean? The kingdom of God or kingdom of heaven certainly comes by itself without our prayer, but we pray in this petition that it may come to us also. This is a, so this this reign this kingdom of heaven comes to us. Now I I didn't check this out, but okay, so uh how does God's kingdom come? God's kingdom comes when our heavenly father gives us his holy spirit so that by his grace we believe his holy word and lead godly lives here in time and there in eternity who knows the small catechism can be so helpful so there's this uh so yeah so when we pray thy kingdom come thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven we actually are praying that this way of life, this way of living, it's going to happen. But when we pray in this petition, that we pray that it happens in us, like we are part of it, because then there's great joy and blessing. Um, yeah. Yeah, that's okay. I mean. Well, yeah, so in the Gospel of Luke, yeah, Gospel of Luke doesn't use the kingdom of heaven. It uses the phrase kingdom of God, and we don't necessarily need to get bogged down in the, the, the nuances of that. But um, uh, Jesus says as he's walking along, hey, some people will say there's the kingdom of God, there it is, but, it, uh, it, but it's among you. So it could make reference to Jesus' localized presence in the crowd as they're walking or actually... In, in you, which we normally kind of colloquially say, in your heart. Um, either way, it's fine, because the emphasis now is upon Christ's life active in you. Of course, as it is applied to Jesus, this makes sense. Okay, yeah, because it is, is the kingdom of heaven, because he is, that's his way of life, that's the way of the kingdom of heaven, that is Jesus. So, um He's blessed, he's poor in spirit, and he is, his way is the way of heaven or the kingdom of heaven. So, Jesus is all over this thing. Holly. Um, I don't need a, I, you know, I, yeah, I, um, first of all, there's, I have some, very hard questions and harsh questions, um, but I don't want to be appearing to beat up on a little kid. So I mean, I mean, so so the question is, yeah, heaven is real. So you're asking. Well, I, I'm asking from this perspective. It doesn't seem like we need a, a somebody to tell us right. the other side of heaven because Jesus has already brought it to us. 
Yes, that's true. Yeah. It, in fact, um, so we should we can believe not because of our young boys have come, right? But because of what Christ has already laid out in the scripture. Oh yeah, yeah. You you don't believe in heaven because of a little boy. You believe in heaven because of Jesus. And that's I think that's my my probably my gravest question about that book is that the emphasis very subtly comes off of Jesus. Doesn't have to be that. I've only read the children's version. There's actually a children's version of that book, which I think is not good. I, I mean, no offense to anybody who's bought it for your grandkids or anything, children, but I would not. Main reason why is that this boy sees some strange things in heaven, and uh, like people have wings. Well, obviously, that's not in scripture. They ask questions at the end that would make it, hey, he's gotten all this other stuff right. This must be true, too. And that's, 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 not, that's just real dangerous. I, there's a whole moral thing, too, about making money off of the whole thing, too. But that, that, that's maybe a more cynical view. But just a very strictly, yeah. And uh, so I... Yeah, I I just don't read it. Don't I would I mean I, I, I actually I, I think it's 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 probably especially as what we just read in the small catechism is that we as Christians our hope is in Jesus. Precisely in Jesus. And that yes, the kingdom of, of heaven or heaven this uh, which the theological term is this eschatological, like this last things, the things that are going, to, like over the horizon. Those are really great. Those are wonderful. However, in Christ, we are experiencing those things now, but in a, in a different way. So how do we experience them now? And uh, uh, it's related to the Beatitudes. So the, the idea is that we can, be, we can mourn, but at the same time, we can be comforted. We can suffer, but experience joy. And over the horizon, mourning and suffering will go away, but the joy and the comfort will still exist. But the reality is, is we're still experiencing that right now. So, um, yeah, the, that whole... I don't want to spend too much time on it, because I, I just... Again, I don't want to sound like I'm kind of up on a little kid, but I just I I think it's not a good thing. So we can talk more later if you want. Krista. I, I read one time if Jesus would tell us how how heaven looks like, you would uh, get so homesick. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know that that's true too. I I think the but um but again the, it, it, see the other thing too is that. God, God didn't just create the world as like a waiting room for, for something else. I mean, God created the world as good. And that's important for us. It's not like God made it, you know, we screwed it up. I mean, that's another thing, too, is that you have to realize is that. But God is, is so good and so gracious that he can even take our screw-ups and make it part of this, you know, greater plan. Um, yeah, because Jesus... Jesus, I guess we're going to stop, but Jesus coming is, um, he, he, 
our life we live now, even though it's it's hard and struggling, it's still good. I mean, life is life is good, and part of us is that we need. To, that's the good news, especially for those who might be poor, destitute. Is that we tell them the good news, and not just tell them with words, but with our lives and our actions. This is this is the good news. So, um, to think that this thing out here heaven is the only good thing is a denial of of actually Jesus' presence now. There's a lot more. Hopefully, I'll leave it up for that. There might be a lot more questions about that, but but let's pray, and we college kids got to go to chapel. Lord, remember us in your kingdom and, and teach us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. All right, see you.